94.7 Kumu Kokua, because Kumu cares. We have on the line the Lieutenant Governor of the State of Hawaii, Dr. Josh Green. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Good to hear your voice. Morning. Thank you for joining us. We totally appreciate it. Hmm. Um, Go right to the trends now. Right about now, we would get some sense of whether Hawaii had a lot of spread of COVID during the Labor Day weekend. What kinds of uh, trends, what kinds of numbers are we seeing? Well, we've been seeing good trends in the hospital. That's the first trend I can report. We peaked exactly two weeks ago today uh, when we were on the radio at 448 in the hospital. And that Mm -hmm. was scary and dangerous because... We really only have the capacity to safely take care of 500 people with severe illness and COVID at a time without massive expansion of resources. We've dropped that 25% down to 336 as of yesterday. And I can tell you, I've got almost all the numbers in right now for the hospitalizations Mm. over the last 24 hours, and we're holding steady. So it's almost exactly the same as yesterday, and that's good news. So our trend has been down and, and steadily down in the hospital. The case counts for the state are better than they were a week ago a week ago we were peaking over the last about 10 days ago where our seven-day average was as high as 870 people Mm -hmm. uh, new cases a day and are now we're now down to 590 so it looks like to me that sometime around two weeks ago we were kind of at the crest of the numbers for the pandemic i can't say for sure that we've seen all the cases that we're going to see from the labor day uh gathering potential Labor Day tsunami. But uh, we'll know at nine whether or not we've had any, you know, bad extra counts over the last 24 hours. I'm hoping that we won't, because if we don't see a high number today, then we can, I think, safely say that we dodged a bullet to a degree and we did not get a big surge from from that holiday, mm-hmm. from Labor Day weekend. Mm-hmm. And that's important because two weeks later, it's reflected at hospitalizations and three weeks later, it's re- reflected as deaths. And we have, you know, tragically seen over 100 deaths the last 30 days because yeah. there have been so many cases. Uh, 98%, I should remind people, 98% of all the fatalities are for individuals who have not been vaccinated. So it's the reason to get vaccinated, and that is that you have much less severe disease. If you go into the hospital having been vaccinated, if you happen to catch COVID through breakthrough cases, usually you're in there for a couple days, three, four days, and then you're out, you're fine. For people who don't get vaccinated at all, especially if they have underlying health conditions, those are the individuals that either have catastrophic outcomes and pass away or have three and four week long hospitalizations and are intubated with the breathing tube. And that's what you have to really avoid at all costs. So um, that's why I keep pushing this. I really am not trying to make anyone feel badly if they have a philosophical opposition to being vaccinated. I'm just trying to say I worry about you and I worry about people having taken on some of this myth from the internet or Nicki Minaj. And and I'm a fan, by the way, of Nicki, just not about her public health position, I don't think. It's not good. I mean, it's not good to scare people away from getting vaccinated and they're going to get sick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, As a follow-up to if, you know, your your comment that uh, we may have plateaued and maybe on the way down now here, What are, in your view, the contributing factors that have kept the cases down? Well, it's a couple things. One, there has been a good amount of attention on the need to not gather. Gathering in big numbers is really our doom. And gathering indoors in big numbers is very dangerous because it spreads so quickly, the Delta variant. 
also outdoor gatherings. Delta variant was sufficiently infectious that it spread even in the outdoor settings. And so that's been very good of people to be careful and not, not cluster together. That's number one. Two, we are really reaching some serious milestones on vaccinations. And I'll, I'll give you three numbers that are re- very relevant. Number one, we vaccinated completely 65.9% of our whole state's population. So two thirds. It's incredible. We're like third or fourth best in the country. So 65.9% of all of our state is fully vaccinated. 74.4% of all of our state, everybody, has at least initiated vaccination, which means in three to four weeks, we'll be towards 74% vaccinated fully. And then finally, when you set aside the 203,000 keiki that are not eligible for vaccination yet, 88% of all of those people eligible have at least initiated vaccination. And that's just through the roof as far as success. That's a, something we should really credit Department of Health and John Shear and, and General Harris team for. I mean, that is exceptional work. I don't agree with, uh, uh, you know, other things, in, you know, and we'll talk about them that we have to be careful about, careful talking about rationing care and so on, which we should talk about. But I am so proud of them for having gotten so many people vaccinated. So that's why the case counts have been dropping. We have seen less travel and let me be very specific on why that impacts cases. We're down about 45%, which does have a consequence, meaning people are out of work right now mm-hmm. or they're, they're not as easily employed, and that hurts, right? But very few cases came from the actual travelers. Where the cases come is when we are in big gatherings and we are at work for eight or 10 hours a day if people let down their guard and they're not vaccinated, not wearing masks. That's where the spread occurs. So there is a you know, an impact of not having as much contact. But eventually we have to be a fully open economy and and take care of everybody. But the pause has probably been a healthy one to a degree because two weeks ago when we didn't have as much, you know, traveler-related activity to deal with, we were able to focus a little bit more on vaccinations and our hospitals. And let me just send this extra kudos out to Queens, Hawaii Pacific Health, Kaiser, Castle, HHSC, all these guys. They've taken care of so many patients. Uh, it's just incredible. And I know that it's a it's a tug of war trying to keep people healthy at work in these hospitals. We should thank them. And we should honor their work by keeping the lid on COVID and, and restricting big gatherings because that keeps them from being overwhelmed. Okay. Thank you thank very you. much. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green joining us. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, why don't we circle back then to what you were talking about as far as restrictive care? Because you said you wanted to get into that. So let's let's do that now, shall we? Okay, so people have heard about what's called the, the crisis standard of care. Uh, I think they probably read about it in the newspaper. Unfortunately, uh, it was not well rolled out. That, that standard of care, that is essentially a position that if, if you overwhelm your healthcare system from whatever kind of tragedy, a plane crash or a terrorist attack, or in this case, a pandemic, if you just simply don't have the resources, do you have to start rationing care? Well, let me be very blunt. I categorically reject this kind of policy, not because I don't respect the people who have been working hard on. I do. I really do. But the premise has to be that we first and foremost, no matter what, enhance all of our response. In, in other words, you move heaven and earth to bring more nurses and doctors and respiratory therapists to the state. You move heaven and earth to use other facilities like long-term care facility beds, 
like the Hawaii State Hospital that's completely empty right now until they start populating it with those who have mental illness and addiction. You have to do everything within your power. Use all of your CARE Act monies to make sure that you have extra support for Queens, for Hawaii Pacific Health, for Castle, for Moanalua, for everybody, okay? You have to do all of those things before ever suggesting that you might not offer care to an elderly individual or someone else who has a higher likelihood of dying. That kind of rationing of care is is uh, toxic to me. And I'm going to say as much in an op-ed this weekend, I expect. But I will tell you this. We scared a lot of people. We scared a lot of wonderful people. Most of the people we scared were 65 and older. And we shouldn't have done that. That should never have happened. And I know it wasn't the intent of the Department of Health. They were they were just caught up in the moment, probably. And some of that policy got put out there uh, kind of preemptively. We are seeing a decrease in our hospital numbers. And we could expand them very greatly long before we ever took the, took the action of restricting care to anybody. So that was a large mistake. And I'm, you know, I'm just going to call it for what it is, because I don't think we have time to pull our punches here. So many people just didn't know what to make of that headline. And the newspaper was actually right on the mark because it was not well explained. What should have been explained was we would only ever consider such a circumstance if there was no other choice whatsoever. Well, Mm. as you know, we got lots of other choices. There's lots of things we haven't done yet that could help people. Okay. Thank you very much. Lieutenant Governor, you were talking about vaccination numbers, like the percentages, right? Uh, What I'm finding now is that there is a non-vax crowd that is taking the 88% and using that to say, well, look, 88% are vaccinated, so why don't we just let everything free and people are still getting sick? And so I, I think people are getting confused with the numbers. Uh, so sure. can you give people just a uh, straight up, okay, if we have this many people vaccinated, this is this is why we're okay. Because I think this stuff is getting mixed up. And, and I, I even I was trying to explain to somebody, they were going, what? Yes, let me, let me be very clear. Right now, 65.9% of our population, 65.9%, call it two thirds of our whole state has achieved safety from severe illness and potentially hospitalization and death. Very, very few of those people have anything to worry about. But the other, so the other 34.1% of our population is is either incompletely vaccinated or not vaccinated at all because they're kids. Mm. And that means 450,000 people still are potential candidates for catching COVID because they're not fully immune and getting severe illness and being in the hospital. And that is still a large number. In a couple weeks, things will be even better than they are now, mm-hmm. and we will get close to three quarters of our whole, of our whole population being completely immune and not worried about getting severely ill and into a situation where they could get sick or or be in the hospital for months or die. Mm-hmm. But that still will leave a quarter of 1.4 million people, and a quarter of 1.4 million people is not an insubstantial number, right? Mm-hmm. It's it, you know you're still talking about like uh, I'll give you the exact number. You're still talking about 350,000 people that will be vulnerable. So we're, we're moving to a better place, but until we get everybody vaccinated that can be, that chooses to be, then we're still gonna have vulnerabilities. Even once we get to 90% of fully vaccinated individuals in the state, 
that will be great. We will not see large outbreaks. We'll not see big surges. We certainly will be able to get rid of all restrictions. But don't, but don't be surprised if you still hear some stories because 10% of the population, that would leave uh, vulnerable. And that's 140,000 people that over time are going to catch COVID. And they're, when they catch it, they're going to be super sick. You will refer to it as the bad flu in 2023 and 2024. People will start to forget that they could have COVID because they'll think it's in the rearview mirror. But actually, you'll be hearing doctors like me say, you know, unbelievably, we just had a couple COVID cases. We had a little mini outbreak. Usually it's going to be from a rural community where there were much fewer uh, people that got vaccinated and it was still churning around society. Hmm. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Lieutenant Governor, I wanted to ask you now about the possibility of more restrictions coming, even though cases seem to be plateauing at this particular moment. The governor, David Ige, and, you know, he has said while he doesn't plan a full scale shutdown at this point, uh, given the trends, he is still considering adding more restrictions, including that possible 10 p.m. curfew, possibly cutting gathering sizes down even more to 10 outdoors, five indoors. Um, Where is the administration? with this now i think where the administration is is it's feeling that the cases have at least plateaued and that's satisfying to people and with each day that more people get vaccinated and people continue to be smart about gathering sizes i think they're pretty content i'm going to personally be surprised if we end up seeing new restrictions proposed because we do seem to see a trend i think if there is not another surge and if the hospital numbers continue to come down like they have been there's no reason to believe we should have more restrictions. I think that the governor is reticent to drop the travel rules at 70%. I think that it's clear now that with the Delta variant, it's a very different situation than it was last year. But if we keep doing this well, I'm hopeful there'll be no extra restrictions. And I know that Mayor Blangiardi, his, his general feeling is he does not like restrictions if we don't have to do them. So... You know, let's keep our fingers crossed that people continue to do the right stuff, which is get vaccinated, encourage their friends and family to get vaccinated. So I don't think restrictions are are what we want to see. So what we can do is do ourselves all a big favor and continue to be disciplined and not have extra gatherings in the next few weeks and drive these cases down through the floor. Let's get our cases back down into the double digits and then people are going to really be glad. All right. Thank Thank you. you Senator Governor. We're going to delve into that whole booster issue because it is kind of a touchy subject for people. And and, and kind of confusing, I think, also. You know, today the FDA panel is meeting to figure out, um, you know, what it recommends in terms of boosters. Um, The Biden administration had said September 20th, which is Monday, was supposed to be the day that boosters were supposed to become available. (laughs) But the interesting thing is that this week there was that report out of The Lancet that said boosters are not needed in the general population. So there's some confusion there. Um, You know, the World Health Organization saying save those shots for places that are unvaccinated yeah, countries yeah. you know so a lot of people are kind of like do i go get it do i not go get it and if so when can you help us understand this sure yes okay so the, the simple answer is yes you should wait for now until we get the final recommendation in the coming week from the fda the reason that there are ten thousand doses that were done I can even be a little more specific than that. I think the number was, um, I'm, I'm sorry, it was 11,141 doses two days ago. It's because individuals with immune compromise, those with cancer treatment or who have had organ transplants and have had to go on to anti-rejection medications, or if they have severe immune problems, 
they have been asked to get their third shot. So that's a small number. And I do know a few individuals who are quite elderly uh, have gotten shots because it's been recommended by their doctor. But the overall recommendation right now is to not get a booster shot until it's approved by the FDA. And here's why. I think that they probably will recommend them, but we have to do them at the right time. You shouldn't just go get it willy-nilly. It should be done if it's recommended after, say, eight months, after you've had your second shot of Pfizer or Moderna or Johnson Johnson, say, if they recommend after eight months, then that's when you should do it because we want to do the right thing by the immune system. We want to follow the science on that. So we're going to get the recommendation. But they will give us some additional advice this coming week. They'll be meeting at least twice. And by the end of the month, we'll know whether or not they're recommending boosters. Here's the, the other challenge. As you know, in Hawaii, we're very well vaccinated. If we were going to be honest about it, then the best benefit that we could get from vaccinations in general is to get every last person who's not vaccinated yet significant immunity. Because people who have had two shots are very well protected. We know that they're not dying in large numbers at all. In fact, they're not getting very sick. So they're protected well. But the other individuals, the tens of thousands in Hawaii and the millions across America, who have not had any vaccination, if for some reason they don't get it because other people get boosters sooner, we will see more deaths because of that. Now, my position is we really should try to do both. People who have been decidedly in favor of vaccinations and have done the right thing, if that's going to protect them more, we should give them a booster if they choose it. And other individuals, if they come to the conclusion now that it's time to get vaccinated, if they haven't been yet, We'll also make that vaccine available. We have enough in Hawaii. We will have enough in America. And to the, to the World Health Organization, which is taking a position against boosters, I would say this. A healthy America, which can keep its economy open, that can keep producing vaccinations, is good for the world. And we have already given hundreds of millions of doses across the globe and will continue to do that, I'm sure, under President Biden and the Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, who's actually a friend of mine. So we'll do those things. But we have to just follow the science. And so when they give us the final science next week, I'll be on with you and we'll be able to likely unpack exactly what they said. Mm, Okay, thank you. I'm looking at a CNBC story uh, talking about why, uh, in part, talking about why it's important to wait until the guidance comes from the FDA on when it's uh, when you should get a third shot. Because um, there is a professor, uh, Sadia Khan, over at uh, Northwestern University School of Medicine. Um, They interviewed her about the the issue of third shots or booster shots. And she said there may be harm for getting a third dose too soon if you don't wait for you know guidance from the FDA or your doctor. Um, among the risks, she said, myocarditis or inflammation of the heart um, if you get it too soon. Also, she said it's of, a, of benefit to wait until um, uh, there is you know really concrete guidance because the um, as new variants emerge, some of the companies are working on boosters that address the new variants. Do you think there is there credence in this? It may very well be. You know, I definitely follow the guidance of the you know the top virologists and epidemiologists in the country. It's hard to know exactly because there's so much research being done and so much data. That's why we want to make sure that we look at the validated data across several scientific studies and and see whether there's higher risk. Now, I've read some of these reports. The instance of myocarditis has been extremely low from the vaccine as compared to getting myocarditis from having COVID. So that's the kind of calculation that one has to make. 
you know, I'm not the scientist on this. I wait for their scientific recommendations. And then at the end of that, you know, I follow them. I, I really think that it's necessary in this, in this case to be patient because if people race ahead and get shots before they're due or they cross over and get shots that haven't been studied properly, like different combinations of the shots, we don't know what to expect. And so that's a mistake. I wouldn't do that. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank uh, you. Lieutenant Governor, um, got a question off our Facebook page from Heidi uh, Pasco. She says, with the testing sites opening for dining out and job requirements, why are the testing counts still low? Uh, and how will the tourist test results be reordered? Well, the testing counts are way up. I mean, they're like 10,000 up from 4,000 a day. So, I mean, that's a lot more. If people can't find tests, I think that we should honor at-home tests that are done properly. They're not very difficult. A lot of the antigen tests, the Binax Now or the ID Now tests, are quite good. They're not perfect, but they're good. And really, we're talking about going through a process to make sure that people are, are thinking about being safe and doing their best. And that process is sufficient to stop spread. So I, I honor her question by saying we should, be, we should be more accommodating to let more tests be accepted. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Wanted to ask you, sir, about student vaccination mandates. Now, you know, LA District uh, voted September 9th to require students age 12 and up to get vaccinated. Uh, there's an interesting Star Advertiser story today about how there are no plans in Hawaii for a student vaccination mandate. Why is that? Well, for one thing, the the vaccine has not yet been fully FDA approved for under age 16 for anybody, and that's where most kids live. Another reason is that we have an enormous percentage of our population choosing to be vaccinated. So it maybe is not a hill to die on for the governor, but that's his call. I will say this. I have not personally been a big fan of vaccine mandates because I'd rather convince people through good science and good advice as a doctor rather than causing a large conflict between lots of people who either are scared or don't have the health information that I have or just are having a problem wrapping their minds around getting vaccinated when it's been a disease that's only been around for two years. So I don't think that's the direction we're going. And it's, it's not the direction I'm advocating. I'm advocating convincing every family and their children, like we did with my 14-year-old and we'll do with our 10-year-old, to get vaccinated because they think it's the right thing to do. Okay. okay. Thank you very much. Um, Anne-Marie Maderas asked on our Facebook, uh, are daily cases less on days when tests are low? I, I don't know even how you would quantify that. Yes. The, uh, so on Mondays and Tuesdays, when we're reporting fewer tests having been done, yes, the counts are lower. And that's why it's important to look at the positivity rate, because the positivity rate out of a sample of four, five, or 6,000 is actually just as informative as the, as the total raw case count. So you can know where your state is going. Also, the seven-day average works that out. By looking at the seven-day average, which is very valuable, and the hospital average, you can see exactly where we are as a state, um, both looking back a week and looking forward. But overall, if you want to look at the best data, you look at the seven-day averages, and that really tells you a lot more. Mm, okay. okay. Uh, one Real quick one. Jamie's asking, uh, state employees have to take a test three days after they return from out-of-state travel, but tourists basically test three days before they arrive and then are free to kind of do whatever they want. So his question is, why don't we have tourists take a test upon arrival or shortly after arrival if they're going to be staying for longer? Well, here's the thing. We would like that, but we can't mandate that. You can't legally force anyone to get a test. All you can do is force them to go into quarantine 
based on your rules. And we can't actually enforce quarantine on tens of thousands of people. For societal-wide problems, you can't actually do those kind of things as much as you might like to. You want everyone to be responsible, and in a perfect world, everyone would lay low for four days or five days and then take a test. People only come for an average of five to seven days, actually, for their vacation. So if you put a policy like that into place, you essentially, if you told them they had to quarantine until they got a second test, you're essentially telling people you're going to be quarantined for your vacation. And then you're better off just to be honest about the policy and not have travel here until you're comfortable with it. Having a test in advance and vaccination in advance, one or the other, you really decrease the number of cases from travel down to 1.5%. And that's, I think, the more important fact that people need to get um, kind of their their minds wrapped around. Uh, What we should also do is recognize that many more of our individuals, our residents who have chosen not to be vaccinated, when they come back, they do have the opportunity to stay home and be careful for three, four or five days, lay low and then get a test. Because that's where we've seen a lot more spread and a lot more cases naturally because our own residents are with our own people they are spending all their time back with family gatherings back at work back in the lunchroom back on the work site that's why those cases are higher and that's a much more valuable policy recommendation to have our own local residents give them the time off for three four days after they come back have them get a test and then honor them and pay them wages if they're out of work for a couple weeks if they happen to test positive that would stop spread much better than multiple tests of visitors. Okay. We saved the grand finale for last, <laughs> Lieutenant Governor. We wanted to talk about Nicki Minaj. She had uh, tweeted this very controversial information about how um, supposedly the friend, a friend of her cousin took the vaccine and supposedly became impotent. Uh, in the tweet, she says, quote, his will fill in the blank. <laughs> His private parts became swollen. His friend was weeks away from getting married. Now the girl called off the wedding. Yada, yada, yada. Anyway, there's been an international backlash about this. Um, and uh, we just wanted to ask you, Lieutenant Governor, if you can set the record straight about whether it's possible that the vaccine could cause something like that. Okay. <laughs> Let me say, first of all, mm-hmm. I really like Nicki Minaj and her <laughs> music. It is cool. She is cool. All right. But her comments about people's testicles becoming swollen and dysfunctional Mm -hmm. are not the right public health guidance. That's not the circumstance that we're seeing. It's not what I'm seeing as a doctor. And it's just this is the problem with social media and the Internet, where someone who's very famous and is super cool, got millions of followers, gives terrible advice based on some story that is not reality. Now, whether that person's testicles were swollen or not, I will never know. And I don't ever want to know. <laughs> but I will say that it was not because of the vaccine and it was not because of COVID. That's why we have scientists. That's why we study these matters. That's why we make recommendations based on studies. So you talk to your doctor. Don't talk to Nicki Minaj about this matter. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I've, I've been seeing more people posting about that kind of stuff, too. Like, oh, my uh, my my cousin took the vaccine and then and the, on the second shot and then died or got really, really sick. And you go, wow, really? That's the way people are doing it? Like, that's what they're using as their 
example of why the vaccine is bad or why they don't want to take it. And it's sort of this feedback loop that happens. I've been seeing that with uh, with some people and it just it gets distressing. It is. It's, it's very Nazi. Human beings are storytellers. Right. And much of our you know, much of our experience has been in the narrative form. And so it's very natural for us when we've had an experience around us to have an emotional response to a story. It's why some of the best um, publicity and best media has come from powerful stories. Stories, for example, when someone actually catches COVID and you have the evidence of why they did and what their response has been. If someone is in the intensive care unit and expressing their sadness that they could have been vaccinated, not been in this circumstance, that is what moves people to get vaccinated. So it's very good in that circumstance. But when other people without genuine experience express stories and they can get out to millions of people, it's a nightmare. So you want to blast somebody on healthcare and put it out there, go to your most wonderful but bland pediatrician, family doctor, and when they give you good advice, blast those people out because those are our real heroes. Okay. Thank you so much to the Lieutenant Governor of the State of Hawaii, Dr. Josh Green. Mahalo, sir. Mahalo. Thank you for having me.